Good morning. Welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm super thankful that you are here uh, on this Easter Sunday. Now, there is a tradition in some churches uh, that, you know, because we're a new church, we're sometimes out of touch with those things. But the tradition is someone says he is risen, and someone says he is risen indeed, because today is Easter. So he is risen. That's super true, and that's super good news. So this morning, we're super excited to celebrate with you, uh, to talk about Jesus a little bit with you. So uh, let me pray. How's that? Uh, Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our time and our affection and our attention this morning as we gather, not just in the shadow of a cross, but in the shadow of an empty tomb. And because you walked out of the grave, we will as well. And so we are here to declare that back to you with gratitude. And we pray all of this in his name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. If you are able, would you please stand and sing with us? Okay, good morning again. Welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle, and I am glad to see that no one has yet been forced into the seats of shame. Okay? Somebody comes in late, we're going to slow clap them right here. You know what I mean? Uh, Welcome. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Sam! Oh my gosh, you hate this, but I'm so excited to see you. Hi. Uh, Welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle. I already said that. Let's think about this. I'm really excited to have you here today, so I'm going to be all over the place. Uh, At Regen, we are passionate about interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And so it has been our prayer this morning, it has been our prayer throughout the week, that you would be caught off guard by the goodness of Jesus uh, today. And so we are really glad you're here. I want to let you know a few things. First, uh, if you happen to be a guest in the house today, I want to say welcome, that we're really glad that you're here. You are expected. Um, in my house growing up, sometimes uh, people would come by unannounced. Ooh, there I am powerful. Um, sometimes people would come by unannounced. And so that meant this hasty cleanup to make sure nobody saw like the chaos that we lived in and throwing it in this back bedroom. That did not happen today, my friends. We were ready for you. And uh, if you are here, we have a gift for you at the back. It's a mug, and there's a card there that says, hey. Uh, That's the way that you sign up for our weekly emails. There is no pressure. There is nothing else that happens, but we would love to have you sign up for that email so you can stay in touch with what's going on. As a side note, there is a little bit of a competition among staff, especially with my wife and I, about who can get more cards. My wife is back there saying, this is not fair. That's why I wanted to do announcements, because I thought I could get more cards now. So... I have the record for most cards in any one Sunday. Please add to that by signing up on that, but don't pity add yourself again or double it up. We will find you, and then I will get in trouble. Uh, So please take that gift. It's our way of saying thanks for being here. We're really glad to celebrate Easter. Um, Kids are kind of hanging out with us, uh, except for littles. They are in the back, the very last room on the left. We have a staff nursery, so two and under are back there. But if your kids get squirrely or, like, talk to you or something like that, I am cool with that. I can handle it. So don't feel like you're interrupting me. And if someone down the row gives you the stink eye, tell me after, and I will TP their house later this week in the name of Jesus. So uh, we'll have that ready. So uh, if you check in on Facebook, if you open up your Facebook app on your phone, you check in. Uh, we will generate a micro donation to a cause that we love. And this week is Bella Women's Center. Yeah. So... Uh, an organization that we really, really love and also that employs like three or four people in our church. So selfish interest there too. But uh, so for more information about that, talk to somebody in leadership. We'd love to share with that. Um, And then the only other thing on the calendar is this Thursday night at seven. When do we do prayer night? It's like we planned this. Seven. 
Uh, we'll be back in this space for our night of prayer and worship. So if that's something you get down with, be there. It was really fun our first time. I'm going to ask Zach Byler, who didn't see this coming, to pray for the offering. Uh, and these buckets will go back, and uh, we'll go from there. Zachary. Hey, I'll, I'm going to pass these around, so if you guys just want to um, bow your heads. Uh, hey, Jesus, thank you um, for today. Thank you for um, giving us this freedom um, of uh, that only you can give us, Lord. Um, I just ask that you, uh, my prayer today is uh, for myself and everybody here, that you let us just drop everything that um, we seem to think uh, holds us down and grasp onto you, Lord, and um, just allow you to work in our lives in a way that um, just lets us live for you. Uh, keep our selfish desires out of it and let us just really worship you today, Lord. Um, hear your word and let us be changed by it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Josh is going to pass him around. Jesus, it's just so big to put into words. I don't know. Um, our lives can be safely entrusted into your hands because you are alive. All that we are is worthy of you because you love all that we are. You have identified with it. You have taken it on yourself. You have redeemed us. And so for these few moments, Lord, would you speak louder and louder? Would your kingdom be so clear? Would this be a thin space? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. There were two news stories that caught my attention this week. One uh, was a story in our local paper about local churches uh, bemoaning, it came out on Palm Sunday of last week, front page, bemoaning the decline of once full churches in our community. And the article explored the causes of this decline in a way that I actually found kind of depressing, just saying. The second story was one that, unless you were totally living under a rock, you did not see, you, you didn't miss, which was the fire at Notre Dame. A historical landmark in the city, a historical landmark in Christianity. Uh, parts of it burnt to the ground last week. These two news stories came on top of more bad news. If you were scrolling through your Facebook feed, if you watched the local news, you saw bad news. 
addiction, abuse, violence, death, corruption, hate. So here we are. We're singing on Easter about victory. We're singing about Jesus' kingship. We're singing of Jesus' power and victory and majesty. And I can't help but wonder today, does it even really matter? Does it even really matter? Are we the people of Jesus who are filled with his power and presence, or are we powerless in the face of a broken and evil world? Is the church of Jesus nothing more than a club, slowly losing members to brain drain and population decline? Is that all we are? Are we an organization in search of new members to keep it alive? This Easter Sunday, I can't help but ask, are we nothing more than an ancient edifice to a bygone era, slowly burning to the ground while we sing songs? These are the questions I'm asking on Easter, and it turns out that asking questions on Easter isn't a strange thing. So if you have a Bible and you want to go there, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 Verses 18 through 20. Now, there are four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, four Gospels. And each of the Gospel writers is recording the same series of events. They're recording the same series of events, but they are arranging the data. They are reporting, one writer will report a certain couple of events, another one will omit them, all to kind of make a literary point. And in Matthew... Matthew chapter 28, the final chapter of his gospel, begins with Jesus' resurrection. And a woman named Mary finds Jesus alive and is commanded by Jesus to go and tell them about, tell Jesus' disciples about his resurrection. Here's what's interesting about this. Jesus chooses a woman who earlier in the gospels we find is a prostitute, a woman of ill repute, A woman at this time in history was not allowed to give testimony in court because it was taken for granted that they would lie on the stand. Jesus entrusts a woman to tell men about the gospel. Yeah. So Jesus, through Mary, tells the disciples to meet him on a certain mountain in a region called Galilee. So that's where they meet Jesus at the end of Matthew 28. But notice that in Matthew's gospel, the disciples have not seen Jesus alive. At the very end of the gospel of Matthew, this is the first time when Jesus' disciples see him alive. And when they get to that mountain, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. Now, Jesus spends 12 years, nope, three years with 12 people. It's a good thing I don't have to communicate for a living. He spends three years with mostly with 12 people, three and a half years, three years of a public ministry. Jesus spends 50 to even 60% of his time with 12 people. Jesus has a bizarre strategy of reaching the many by reaching the few. And Jesus has made it very, very clear with these 12 men. There's actually 11 now. One got lost along the way. Jesus has made it very clear to these 11 men that their job is to carry on his work in his absence. He calls them to be disciples, or in our language, we would call them apprentices. 
They are called to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And let me just stop for a second and say, if you want to know what's going on at Regen, our passion, our singular desire, the only program that we have is equipping people to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does, to embody the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus, to be apprentices of Jesus, at which point somebody in leadership said amen. Okay, thank you. That's what we're about. So these disciples are trained to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what he did, which means being in relationship with Jesus, taking, taking responsibility for Jesus' kingdom. And the time has come, now that Jesus is resurrected, for them to go and carry on this work. So Jesus commands them or commissions them to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach people to obey. Easter, it turns out, is a call to action. Easter, it turns out, is a call to action. This is the first time that Jesus' disciples see him after he's resurrected, and he says, he doesn't, look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, that was weird. Right? What he says is, okay, it's time to get working. Let's go. I was raised in a church that loved this passage. We heard sermons on this passage. It was on banners everywhere. I think it's a great passage. Um, But I never really noticed until recently what comes immediately before these verses. In verses 16 and 17 of Matthew 28, it says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Good job, guys. Star on your paper. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And we just finished a six to seven week series on doubt, so I don't want to rehash all of that. But do you notice that worship and doubt are not opposites. Do you notice that this morning we could say, everyone at Regen worshiped, but some doubted. And fire doesn't fall and lightning doesn't strike. It's all good. What's interesting about this series on doubt, which by the way, if, you've, if I'm allowed to like self-promote, please go back and listen to the sermons on our webpage about doubt. Um, because I think that would help if that's where you are, unpack some of that. What's interesting about this word doubt that Matthew uses uh, in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, um, a Greek we don't speak anymore, it it doesn't exactly refer only to doubts of the head or intellectual questions. It refers to a practical hesitance, a reticence. Um, It speaks to an I'm not sure what the British would call being in two minds. I spent 10 weeks in the UK uh, with an internship when I was an undergrad. And uh, learned this lovely phrase. The British have a lovely set of phrases. For example, after dinner, when you are kind of just picking at the food, that's tucking in the corners. That's nice. Um, Obviously, you can tell I'm very gifted at tucking in the corners. Um, But another one that they have, when you can't make up your mind, when you're unsure about something, they'll say, I'm in two minds about that. Isn't that interesting? That's where the disciples are this morning in Matthew 28. They are in two minds. They are hesitant. They are unsure. Why might that, why, why might that be? Could it be personal failure? I mean, after all, the last time that these 11 guys saw Jesus, they scattered and abandoned him. They failed Jesus. Is it their personal failure that causes them to be hesitant? Is it intellectual doubts? Actually, is it that? Is it looking at a resurrected person and being totally unable to comprehend what this is. Because by the way, the resurrection of Jesus is not resuscitation. This is important. 
The resurrection of Jesus is not resuscitation. I could have a heart attack right now. You could drive me to St. Joe's, and they could, you know, like, gadunk me back to life. That's the technical term. Don't be afraid of that. Gadunk, okay? I watch a lot of medical dramas, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, That would be resuscitation. Only Jesus has been resurrected. Only Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, and that is because Jesus rises again to have the human body that we were always meant to have, what Paul calls is a glorified body, an immortal body. It's a body that lets Jesus walk through walls, that lets Jesus traverse large distances in the blink of an eye, and these are the bodies that we were always meant to have, so look forward to heaven where you will have superpowers. Also, this is hard for them to comprehend. They have never in their lives seen what they are looking at. Is it intellectual doubt? Is it questions of the head? Is there resistance, their hesitance from the brokenness of the world that they are being sent into? The disciples, like farmers insurance, know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. <laughs> Only they've not seen, have you seen the latest one where it's a hot air balloon lands on a car? Don't you so badly want to be in that parking lot? Not on, not your car, right? Is it? But for them, it's, it's not hot air balloons and crazy things like that. It's they've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen Jesus feed the hungry. They are aware of the deep brokenness of the world that they are being sent into. Is that their hesitance? Is their hesitance the sheer size of the task in front of them? Jesus doesn't say, go across the street. Jesus doesn't say, like, go to the next, like, little county over. Don't drive from Cortland to Howland, which takes all three minutes. You know, it... And to people in Trumbull County, it's Jesus basically said, like, you need to go to Ashtabula. People in Trumbull County act like Ashtabula is the other side of the world. We need to, like, take snacks. We need to pack water. Has everybody gone to the bathroom? My wife is from South Dakota. It's like a 14 to 16-hour drive just there. It's an hour and a half away to the nearest Walmart. She's like, wimps. Um, Jesus says, go into all of the world. The world is a large place. Are they hesitant from the sheer size of the task in front of them? Are they hesitant because they know what it's going to cost them? It's going to cost them their time. It's going to cost them their very lives. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Most of these 11 men die gruesome deaths, according to church history, sawed in half, crucified upside down. I find that as we invite people to step into a life of discipleship and mission, they often come back at me with, well, that's kind of outside of my comfort zone. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit inside of me says, so what? This Easter, our doubts and our hesitancy might be similar. It might be different. We're plagued by our failures. We're harried by our intellectual doubts. The brokenness of the world, the size of the task in front of us might be too much. Maybe it's the cost. We know that giving our lives away to Jesus will be too uncomfortable, too inconvenient. Jesus sees you and your hesitance this morning with the same clarity that he saw his disciples then. And to their hesitance, to their reticence, Jesus offered a word of good news. In response to their hesitance, Jesus makes promises of his authority and his presence. He says, all authority in heaven on earth and has been given to me. All authority. How is that possible? It is possible because in his death and resurrection, Jesus has wrested back all authority that the spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness te- temporarily held. 
to embody the worldview of Jesus. To be an apprentice of Jesus means to accept, to take for granted that there is a world that is just as real beyond our seeing. And that the rebellion of humanity a long time ago out of memory that God sends Jesus to resolve was mirrored by and even manipulated by a spiritual rebellion that Jesus comes to end in his living and his dying. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 2. He says, You who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. So verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2 speak a lot about forgiveness and the cancellation of a debt that we owed God. But then in verse 15, Paul says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. The cross and resurrection of Jesus do not have just personal consequences that I can be forgiven, that I can be free, that I can receive mercy. It's not about you. It's about something cosmic that Jesus is coming to put to rights, that Jesus is resting back the authority these rulers and authorities temporarily held, and it now belongs to him. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. He says, I hold all the cards. He makes a promise of his power. He makes a promise of his authority. He says, I hold all the cards. But then he makes a promise of his presence. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us always. He is glad to be with us. His presence is particularly offered and noticeable to people in difficulty and in suffering. But he is always, every day, all the time, Emmanuel, who is God with us. So what does this mean about our hesitance? Jesus responds to our personal failings with his authority and says, I alone have the authority to define you and forgive you. Your past failings hold you back. Do not hold you back unless I say so, and I do not. Jesus responds to our intellectual doubts with his presence. He says, I am glad to be with you and to call you deeper through the questions you have. Jesus responds to our intimidation at the world's brokenness with his authority. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus responds to the sheer size of his task with his presence, saying, don't be afraid. I am with you always. He responds to the cost that we are afraid to pay with the words of Jim Elliott, a missionary who gave his life. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus sees your hesitance today. He sees my hesitance today. And he offers us his authority and his power and his presence to comfort and guide and embolden us. Easter, this Easter, Jesus' power and authority and presence transforms or can transform our hesitance, our reluctance, into readiness to join him in making all things new. Making all things new. Or in the words of Matthew, go make and baptize. See, Jesus comes declaring a mission of forgiveness and freedom. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes to find and to save all the runaway bunnies, which relates back to something that we talked about on, thir- on Friday night. 
He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus comes to make, in the words of Revelation, all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. So let me just stomp and say this Easter, if you need finding freedom or forgiveness, today is the day. Today is the day. You keep sticking your little toe in the water. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of cold. And Jesus says, let's stop eating around the edges and let's start finding, nibbling around the edges and let's start finding freedom and forgiveness and finding in me. Today is the day. Not next Easter, not next Christmas, not after you get everything together. Today is the day. But it's not just about you. I'm sorry to tell you. It's not about accepting these things and then stepping into heaven's waiting room a.k.a. the local church, where you just hang out until you die. We are not the waiting room of heaven. The gospel of Jesus isn't about waiting to escape earth and get to heaven. It is not about seeing the brokenness of the world and coming in here to hide and hope that no one notices. It's about bringing heaven to earth. Dallas Willard, who is one of my favorite authors, says, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Or as Jesus taught us, on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, the presence and power of Jesus is in our midst because scripture says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And the you there is plural. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in y'all, the collected, called out people of Jesus. Which means that we are not powerless in the face of evil. We are not powerless in the face of evil. It has always been the people of Jesus that go running first into the fire. The people of Jesus built the first schools. The people of Jesus built the first hospitals. It's the people of Jesus who are right now in our community caring for the most vulnerable. Plucking women out of sex trafficking. It's people of Jesus. We are not powerless in the face of the brokenness. We are the first people into the flames. Do you know why? Because we know that if we give our lives for doing this thing, this is not the end. And way too many people that claim the name of Jesus live as if this was all there is. We are not a declining organization needing to make itself more relevant to attract younger people. By the way, the Bible never uses the word attract to describe the church. By the way, go and read that article in the Tribune. I'm not trying to pick on the Tribune, but I would point out that it said the word church 62 times and the word Jesus zero times. Do you know how many times Jesus uses the word church in the New Testament? Twice. He uses the word disciple hundreds of times. The gospel of the kingdom, a hundred times. I'm sorry to tell you this. Jesus does not really care about our church. He is pleased to use us as an instrument of his mercy as long as we get people to him. But the minute it goes about us, we're all throwing it in and going home. Jesus is the most, by the way, relevant human being to ever live. He does not need to be made more relevant. He needs to be made more real in our personal lives. We are not an edifice to the past, burning down in the fires of postmodernism and self-autonomy. If we are on fire, church, we are on fire with the flame of God who says he is a consuming fire. Today, 
Jesus has for us a call to action to lay aside our hesitance, to embrace his power, to embrace his presence, to join him in making all things new. Well, what does that look like? It looks like, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. It looks like going. And if you're a grammar nerd, it's a participle. As you are going. Not go for a weekend somewhere far away and come back and live your life as regular. It means every single place that your feet are, every single place that your feet are, you are Jesus, appointed person of his presence and power. If you are standing in the checkout line at Aldi, this is not a mere human being that you're talking to. This is a person whom God loves more than you could possibly imagine. And so we need to transform our transactional interactions into relational ones. You are the appointed missionary to the people around you, not Art and Pam and Candace, who we can send and do it for us. It means you are going. And by the way, you are probably the only Bible that your friends and family will ever read. And if they don't like Jesus, it's probably because of what they're reading. Do you get what I'm saying? No amount of cool worship or cool sermons from Kyle can overcome your crappy Christianity. Happy Easter to you. It looks like making, making disciples. It means investing ourselves in people and communities that train us to live like Jesus so we can train others. It means that every interaction you have is a potential mentoring relationship. Jesus tells everyone to make disciples. He does not say, hey, Regen, give your money so we can hire people to do it for you. He says, hey, Regen, hire people that know how to do it that will train you in how to do it. Jesus tells everyone to make disciples and tells us that every relationship is an opportunity for discipleship. Every relationship is an opportunity to speak the truth in love. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You want to make disciples tomorrow? Start just speaking life to people and shut up with the gossip. It looks like baptizing and teaching. Baptism is the way that we are initiated into Christianity, and teaching is the long-term process of equipping somebody to live like Jesus. That means opening our homes and opening our lives and being terribly inconvenienced. It means not worrying about the nicky-nacky behavior stuff. A person's biggest sin is not smoking. A person's biggest sin is not drinking. A person's biggest sin is that they're an evolutionist. A person's biggest sin is their unbelief. So let's address that before we start talking about the nicky-nacky behavior stuff. It means opening our homes. It means opening our lives. Easter is a call to action. Easter is a call to action. And the good news of this is the hard news of this is that we all live our lives on pause. Just waiting for the next thing, waiting for the next best thing. We live our lives on pause and we wake up in the middle of the night and we say, is this all that I'm really here for? Guys, the gospel answers are two most pressing questions. Who am I and what am I here for? And the gospel recruits us into a life where we press play. Too many churches live life on pause. We are not one of those churches. Uh, Next Sunday, we're kicking off a new series called Press Play, in which we're going to press into being a church that has pressed the play button, even if that means being totally out of control. 
even if that means doing hard things. Friends, our goal this morning is to bring the kingdom to earth, not to live in the nicky-knack, not to live in the simple, not to press pause and just hang out playing in the mud while Jesus invites us to a holiday at the beach. Is to press play. And so how do we do that? Here's the one thing I want to ask you to do. Some of you, I won't see you again until next year, and that's great. It's been good to see you. Um, some of you I'd like to see back next week. That would be cool too. Um, there is a place for you in the spiritual family. There's a place for you in this spiritual family. Jesus said in Luke 10, 2, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he says, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers in his harvest field every day this week as we start pressing into this series. And if I don't see you for a year, go ahead and keep praying this every day. Would you wake up in the morning and say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Y'all, you are not here for the simplicity of life. You are here for this wild, extraordinary thing that's called following Jesus. Our biggest prayers of church is that you come to experience that. Let's pray. Here we are, Jesus. <clears throat> we are yours. And you did not live and die to start a club. You did not live and die so that we would just be boring people. You lived and died and rose again to send us out so that we could join you in the sacred work of making all things new. Our lives, our time, our money, our talents, our presence, all of it, all of it is for you. And so, Jesus, we offer ourselves to you this morning. Some of us have claimed the name of Jesus for a long time, and we're kind of nicky-nacking around on the edge. And you're inviting us to press in deeper. Some of us have... So many hesitancies that stop us from stepping across the line of faith. But today, Jesus, you are saying, today is the day. And so we offer ourselves to you and say, we want our lives to be defined by Jesus only. Pray all of this in his name. Amen. Um, so you'll notice behind me, there is no bread or juice. We, as a community, receive communion every week when we gather. Almost every time we gather, we take communion, except today. Paul says that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And plot twist, he's not dead today. Today is about his life. And so together we get to stand and declare true things with a song that we've been teaching you called uh, Bellows. So would you stand if you're able to sing us, this with us? I am so glad to have been with you today. And wherever you go, there is an unfailing love that broke out of a grave that will pursue you all the days of your life. Our hope is that today, for a second, you looked over your shoulder and saw it. He's worthy of giving your life to. As hard as it is, as confusing as it is, God, I've been walking with Jesus almost daily since I was 14. He has made my life more complicated, not less. But he's also made it better and more rich. May you go in the peace and the power of his resurrection. We'll see you next time.